Well, I want to start this morning by asking you a question, and the question is, who are the women in your life that have helped you follow Jesus? Who are the women in your life that have helped you follow Jesus? Now, in saying this, I, I recognize that for some of us here, whether you're in person or you're at home, uh, you might not be so sure about what you think about Jesus or what you think about church, and so let me put the question to you this way. Who are the women in your life that you respect enough to be sitting here listening to and being a part of the service this morning? Who has inspired you to be here and, and thought, hey, like, I respect that individual enough to listen for, a, you know, come to the service for an hour, even though I'm not sure what I think. So who are the women in your life that have, have moved you or inspired you to think about Jesus and even explore what does it mean to follow Jesus? And maybe who comes to mind are indeed our, our mothers. It is Mother's Day or our grandmothers or, or other uh, aunts and uh, other people in our lives that maybe some people come to mind there who have inspired us and have encouraged us. And that's great. For me this week, as I was thinking about this, a, a number of women came to mind. And of course, my mom and my grandma, and we're going to talk about my grandma in a little bit. Um, but this woman named Ruth was who I want to tell you a little bit about this morning. See, Ruth was a, a part of the, the church that I, I went to in Kingston. I, I was a 23, 24-year-old guy. I know, Kiana, I just moved, and I told you I wasn't going to move this morning, didn't I? I'm sorry. Kiana's on cameras, and she's doing an amazing job. And I told her during the warm-up this morning, I don't think I'm going to move. And they know I lie, okay? So, and here I am. So anybody who's doing a camera operating thing, I'm so sorry, Okay. Anyways, back to this. Let me talk to you about Ruth. So Ruth was a part of this, this really great little church in Kingston. And, uh, and one of the things that Ruth was passionate about was about refugees and helping refugees uh, find their way to Canada to find safety for them and their family. And there was one family that she was working with that they had exhausted all sorts of options. They had tried all these sorts of official channels, and she came to the conclusion one day that, you know what, the official channels aren't working. This situation is dire. If official channels aren't working, we're going to try the unofficial ones. And I walked in on that conversation as a 23-year-old guy, and I'm thinking to myself, this is super risky. This is illegal. But what Ruth knew, and what I was learning in that moment, is that following Jesus' way of justice and love doesn't always flow through official channels. In fact, sometimes the Jesus way requires that we do otherwise. That right there was an important learning moment for me. As a young pastor, as somebody exploring what does it mean to follow Jesus in practical ways, especially with communities of people who are going through difficult times. And so I'll ask you again, who are the Ruths in your life? Who are the people who have helped you understand what it means to follow Jesus? Now, we can say in, in general and honest terms that, that we recognize that women, uh, their con contributions of women have not always been as appreciated as they ought to be. Very often, women's uh, contributions are overshadowed by their male counterparts. We know that this is true in, in the workplace. We know this has been true in history. And, and it seems to be very true in Scripture as we read through the Bible. In fact, as we read through Scripture, we recognize that the human authors of the Bible seem to reflect societies that, did not, that do not value women like we do today. And yet, even in recognizing that, if we're paying attention, we will see that God has been purposeful in including women in his story. Very intentional, actually. Let me talk about a couple individuals before we get to our main, our main teaching point this morning. In the Old Testament, we meet a woman by the name of Miriam. 
Miriam is Moses' sister. And Miriam is described as being a spiritual leader of God's people. She's a prophetess. And she is leading there right alongside Moses for a season. And as you move forward in the Old Testament, you come across a woman named Deborah who is, uh, is a national leader of God's people. She's no pushover if you read the story of Deborah. And if we keep going into the New Testament, and we just glossed over a whole lot of other women in the Old Testament, if we keep going to the New Testament, we get ourselves to Romans chapter 16, which is written by the Apostle Paul. And we tend to look at the Apostle Paul and think, maybe the Apostle Paul doesn't have a very, you know, high view of, of women. In fact, we, sometimes he gets used to say women can't do this or that. But if you read the end of Romans chapter 16, in this, this chapter that, where Paul gives greetings to a whole lot of people, he makes a point of highlighting the contributions of women in the early church. Here's three of them. We meet Junia, who the Apostle Paul says is highly respected among all the apostles. Here's this woman who all the other apostles think really highly of. We meet Priscilla, who seems to be a theological teacher and is always mentioned ahead of her husband. Always gets top billing ahead of her husband by the Apostle Paul. It's always Priscilla and Aquila. It's never Aquila and Priscilla. That's interesting. And then there's a woman named Phoebe, who Paul uses the word deacon and not deaconess. Deacon to describe the leadership role that she has in the early church. And these are just a couple names that we find in Scripture of women who are, are examples of what it means to follow God and, and to follow Jesus with boldness, to give leadership, and to contribute to the life of God's community. And it's a testimony to how God's work is not limited to a single gender or to cultural norms. Rather, the kingdom of God often flows through those who are left out by the majority of society. The kingdom of God often runs through the margins. Now, so often when we even think about Jesus' disciples, we think about the 12 disciples, and that is a group of men. But we would be uh, silly to think that that group of 12 is the, all of Jesus' disciples. In fact, if you keep reading in the Gospels, you realize that Jesus commissions at one point 72 other disciples to go and to proclaim the kingdom of God and to go perform miracles in his name. He basically delegates them and says, go and do what I've been doing and then come back and tell me about it. And so there's got to be more than just 12. There's at least 72. And if Jesus has the opportunity to choose 72, there's probably a bigger group of people he can choose from. So it's not necessarily just a small group of people. There is a group that, of people who have followed Jesus, gathered with Jesus, that Jesus has recognized is, are with him enough to say, go and go do what I'm doing. Practice it. And then come back and let's debrief it. And amidst that group... Our women is part of Jesus' disciple group. And that would be revolutionary. That would have been come across as scandalous at the time. But this is how Jesus works. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the role that women have among Jesus' followers with the big idea that the women in the gospel show us what it looks like to follow Jesus in, in some pretty remarkable ways. And to explore this today, we're going to track loosely with, with a woman named Mary Magdalene. And we're going to make a couple observations, about four observations, as we work our way through this teaching time this morning. Uh, our first observation is that Jesus' followers humbly acknowledge their need for Jesus. And we see this modeled for us by a woman in Luke chapter 7. And we're going to read about three verses from, the beginning, from Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. 
a woman in that town who lived a, a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. We'll just stop there for right now. You know, one of the character traits, if we're reading through Luke's gospel, one of the character traits of Luke's gospel is that Luke regularly portrays women as as regularly responding to Jesus with uh, humility and with faith, while men are frequently, you know, described as responding to Jesus, you know, being egotistical and argumentative. That's sort, of a, that's sort of how Luke sees or describes people responding to Jesus. Women come to Jesus with faith and humility. Men frequently kind of argue and have a bit of an ego. And this is kind of true in the passage that we just read this morning. In this scene, we have this respectable man, a Pharisee, who's hosting a dinner for, and he's invited Jesus to come. And a woman crashes this dinner party and falls at Jesus' feet in tears, and she, and she pours uh, expensive perfume on his feet, washing his feet and wiping it with her hair. This scene would have been scandalous. Okay? Not just shocking, scandalous. People would have looked at that and said, what on earth is going on? Because it may have even looked sexual. But there's more going on here than what, people, what the observer might have seen. See, this woman has come to Jesus, and she is heartbroken, and she is seeking forgiveness for what seems to, must have seemed to be this overwhelming burden that she just needs to kind of get off of her shoulders. And Jesus see, sees this, and, and says, he says to her, you're on the right track, essentially. He says to her, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you, go in peace. You know, if we read this story in its totality, we are invited to to, to reflect on the difference, the response to Jesus that the Pharisee gives versus this woman. And we're invited to see that this woman's response to Jesus is actually the proper response to Jesus. You know, often what keeps us from experiencing uh, Jesus is our pride. That for various reasons, we feel the need to, to be put together instead of being open and honest and vulnerable but as we, re- we, we read uh, uh, this exchange between Jesus and the Pharisee and Jesus and this woman, we, we see that being put together doesn't get us what we're looking for. Rather, acknowledging the depth of our brokenness does. Now, this passage flows right into another passage. You know, the passage of Jesus having his feet anointed flows into another passage where we meet uh, Jesus and his group of disciples traveling about, and there's a group of women who have responded to what Jesus is doing in their lives by becoming investors or major financial supporters of Jesus' work. Now, we don't know who the woman was who anointed Jesus' feet. We don't know for sure who she is. But at various points, people have speculated that this woman's name is Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene shows up in the next passage we're about to read as one of these women who are responding to Jesus as a, by being one of Jesus' financial supporters. Now again, it's speculation. We really don't know, okay? Sometimes people think that it's another woman named Mary or just somebody else who is just completely unknown altogether. 
Now, the reason why I'm kind of mentioning the speculation is I, I think it, it could be kind of interesting to think about as we read the next bit because it gives us a little bit of background into Mary Magdalene, potentially. And so uh, let's keep reading in Luke chapter 8, starting Luke chapter 8, just the first three verses here. After this, and this is, you know, Luke has this coming right after Jesus is anointed by, by this woman. It says, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So here we have a, a group of women who are a part of Jesus' disciples. They are right there. It's the 12, and these women are depicted here. It's, the idea is that they are together. They are a part of Jesus' disciple group. And these, these women have had life-changing experiences with Jesus. They've been healed of various things. And their response was to commit themselves to not only being a part of Jesus' group of disciples but to use their wealth to support Jesus as he travels around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And this brings us to our next observation this morning, that these women show us that Jesus' followers invest in his mission. You know, sometimes when we talk about money, we can, think, come, we can find ourselves thinking that money is, is, is sinful. You know, it's wrong to have means, it's wrong to have wealth. But if we read scripture carefully, we will realize that having wealth is not the problem. Rather, the question usually is how we are going to use the wealth that we have and, and what, what kind of influence does our wealth have over the decisions that we make and, and the things that are important to us. That's usually uh, what, you know, the point of the, when scripture talks about money, that's usually the point that it's trying to make. Well, the women that follow Jesus show us what it means to use what we have to invest in the mission of God. That as we have been uh, impacted and encountered Jesus in a life-changing way, one of the natural responses we have is to turn and to invest the good things that we have into the work of the kingdom, into the mission of God and what Jesus is doing in the world. And for some of us, this could mean that we follow the example of these women and we take our, finance, our finances and we give them to organizations and to people who are doing Jesus-like things in our city and in our world. That's one really good response. But I never like to leave it just with money because it's about more than money. It's about how we use the other resources that we have, all of the resources that we have, whether it be our time, our homes, our energy. It's, it could include volunteering. It can include any number of things. But the question is, how are we going to use the things that we have? And for many of us, we're already on track in terms of contributing to, you know, the, the life of West Heights Community Church with the, with the resources that we have, our time, our energy, our, our money. We are givers in these, in these areas. Well, let me just kind of use this as a, side, as a little side thing to say, hey, we can use volunteers in other areas as well, too. We continually do use, need volunteers. In fact, this is sort of a, feels like a bit of a rebuild in terms of who we are as a church, is we need to rebuild the things that we do, including our volunteer, uh, our volunteer base for things like our kids' ministry. Somebody asked me a couple weeks ago, hey, Josh, when are we going to get rid of that registration thing for kids' ministry? Really, the reason why we keep having registration week to week is we need to make sure that we have enough volunteers for the kids who want to come. And so maybe if you, if you might want to help out with, with kids' ministry. 
Or maybe, and this, is a, this was a kind of a cool thing that happened this last week. In this room on Thursday night, there were 25 junior highs, very rowdy junior highs, okay? The minivans out front of this building were incredible, okay? They just kept coming out of vans. It was something else. It's awesome. And most of those kids don't go to our church. That's so cool. There's an opportunity here to invest your time and your energy into something Jesus-like if you're feeling that kind of nudge. We'd love to talk, have a conversation about that. Continuing on in our, in, our, in our message here, let's look at the Easter story a little bit. We are still in the Easter season, believe it or not. The Easter season runs until Pentecost, which is at the beginning of June. We are still in the Easter season, and we, it's still appropriate, appropriate for us to be reflecting on the Easter, sto- the Easter story. And as we read through and reflect on the Easter story, the story of Jesus' crucifixion and, and resurrection, one of the things that we will notice is that the primary witnesses to everything that's going on are a group of women. In fact, to the best of my knowledge, as I scanned through the story of the crucifixion this week, I could find only mention, a mention of only one man named John at the foot of the cross. The rest are a group of women. Now, is this to say that the men were, you know, nowhere to be found? They were gone away and they're hiding. They weren't there. Not necessarily, they could have been there, but we are invited here to reflect on the faithfulness of these women in being present. See, they were committed to him, to Jesus, even when things were hard and when the future seemed uncertain. And in them, we get a beautiful picture of what faith looks like. That Jesus' followers practice faith through tears and uncertainty. The faith isn't always easy. It's sometimes really hard. And, and these women, let's be honest, they didn't know what was going to happen next. They didn't know that this was going to, everything was going to turn out and it was going to be all good. All they knew was that they somehow needed to be right there with Jesus. That's all that they knew. It was hard. It was painful. It was uncertain. But they just needed to be close to him. And that right there is a picture of faith. And as I've thought about this, this this week, I found myself reflecting on my, my grandma, who's a wonderful lady, 92 years old, talked to her this week, and you know what? She's always good for a laugh. She is funny. She is thoughtful. She, she always she's caring. And she's a woman that, in my mind, has a whole lot of reasons to be sad and bitter, but she never is. And at various points, I've said to her grandma, like, you know, like, how have you made it through the hard stuff? And she always looks at me and she says, it's Jesus. Now, sometimes an answer like that can feel kind of trite, like it can kind of feel a little overly simplistic. And yet, in terms of our relationship, when I have like walked in on my grandma having her special quiet time in the morning, you know it's real. There's a look on her face that says, I know Jesus in a way that is so personal and so intimate that even when life is hard and when there's uncertainty and she's not sure when things will be, if things will be good again, that she's had this, she needs to be up close and personal with him. See, choosing to be close to Jesus in the hard and the uncertain moments of life is an expression of what faith looks like. I think we see this in the women at the, at the foot of the cross. Now, as we get to Easter Sunday... We read about some women traveling to be at the tomb of Jesus. And Matthew's gospel tells us that Mary Magdalene is one of them. 
And in fact, Mary, Matthew's gospel tells us that Mary Magdalene had been at the foot of Jesus' cross. In addition, so she was one of Jesus' financial backers, and she's been at the foot of the cross, and now she's headed to the tomb. She's one of Jesus' disciples that has stuck close to him and followed him for a long time now. And now she is with some others as they're traveling to the tomb of Jesus because they need to be close to Jesus just one last time. And as they're traveling to the tomb, what they don't know, everything is uncertain, right? But what they don't know is their faithfulness is going to be rewarded. And in John's gospel, this encounter with Jesus is described in rather personal terms for Mary. And so let's read from John chapter 20, starting at verse 11. Now Mary stood uh, stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and, she, and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them, told them that he had said these things to her. You have to appreciate the personal touch to this story. That Mary, uh, that, um, that this woman, Mary, who's, who, who is a person of faith, whose heart has just been completely broken at watching everything happen to Jesus, that she has this personal moment with Jesus where she encounters him like she never thought she would ever again. And that moment when she hears his voice is a moment that would have brought such joy to her broken heart. And as a result of this brief experience, Jesus, Jesus sends her back to the others who are currently sitting in their brokenness. And so our final observation this morning is that Jesus' followers share their experience with Jesus with others. Now, as we reflect on, on this point, I think it's, it's worth n- noticing that the situation that Mary's going back to. I mean, Mary's going back to a group of people who are just like her, who are sitting there in their heart, heartbreak. And you know what? She's one of them. She has been there. She probably had been sitting there with them up until she left to go, for, go to the tomb that, that day. She's one of them. She understands what they're going through. And it is because of the shared experience, she's able to go back and talk to them about what she's experienced. This is not a cold call situation, okay? This is not like when somebody knocks on our door, the solicitor that we didn't ask to come to our door and they want, us to, they want to talk to us and they want to sell us something and we don't want anything to do with them because, hey, we don't know you. You don't know us. This is awkward. This is not one of those situations. Rather, this is more like when, so, when a friend comes to our house a friend who knows our experience, who, who understands what we're going through, who we believe you know, is cheering for us and wants the best for us. And they come with a recommendation because they've experienced something that they think will help. 
And we're willing to receive it because we know that we know them and they know us. This is what we're invited to do. To be like Mary and to, and to share our experience with Jesus with others. And what this requires, though, is that we, we, we discover the genuine points of, of, of similarity in our stories and the stories of other people where we can speak to our experience with Jesus and how it has helped us or is currently help, helping us in the situation that, is, that, that, that somebody else is going through. You know, I get it. I've been there. This is my experience. Let me share how following Jesus has made a difference. Now, as we wrap up this morning, uh, there's quite a few different directions that we could go, to, go in, in in order to make this practical. And let me say that I think I, I did a bit of a faux pas in this sermon this morning, is that there is four different sermons that, could, that were preached here, okay? Each of these observations could be their own message and have their own application point. And so if this seemed fragmented and all over the place to you, it probably was, and I'll try to do better next time, okay? Um, and, but let me say this, if, if that's the case, let me, and you've found yourself sitting there like, I wish we'd sat with observation number two a little bit longer. Sit with that. That's your take home today. Because maybe there's something there and you should explore that with curiosity and see what the take home might be for you this week. But the direction that I want to, to, to finish with is an invitation to be looking at those who are following Jesus but, but aren't in the majority of our culture, maybe those who are marginalized or a part of minority groups, people that we can learn from that aren't, we don't tend to always focus in on. Who are those people? And we've done that a little bit today by focusing on Mary Magdalene in, you know, contrast to usually we focus on people like Peter, James, and John, and some of the big picture people, bigger, you know, people who are the main characters. But here we spent a considerable amount of time talking about Mary Magdalene, and maybe that's a first step in this, paying attention to the folks who aren't normally at the center of our conversations. And so here's two possible next steps for us this morning. The first is to pay attention to the stories of of the people in scripture who are on the outside of that, of whatever was their mainstream society. Pay attention to the stories of scripture, uh, stories in scripture of the people who are on the outside. I mean, who are the people as we read the Bible who, who don't have status or they don't have means or they don't have influence? Who are those people? And when we look at them, uh, how, uh, what are we seeing in, in how God is relating to them and what those people can teach us about what does it mean to follow Jesus? You know, more often than not, these are the stories that reflect the heart of the kingdom of God. Now, what's interesting about Mary is that Mary's name is actually mentioned more times and we know more about her than we know some, about some of the uh, other disciples of Jesus. Case in point, did you know that there's a disciple named Bartholomew? How many of you honestly knew that there's a disciple named Bartholomew? Okay, I'm counting about three hands, four hands, five, maybe, okay, some of you, okay, it's not an auction, okay? Uh, (laughs) All right, there's a disciple named Bartholomew, okay? What do we know about him? I don't know anything about him, okay? Uh, We know more about Mary Magdalene than we know about Bartholomew, who was a part of the twelve. Maybe we're supposed to be paying attention to Mary Magdalene and learning from her experience. Learning about, you know, God's love and care for somebody who would have been on the margins just by her gender. Maybe we're supposed to be paying attention to that 
and be paying attention to what she can teach us about how do we follow Jesus. A second, a second possible next step is to be paying attention to the stories of those followers of Jesus who are on the, outside of the mainstream of our society. You know, if I believe that Jesus is often found in the margins, I can't always be looking to those in the majority of, the, of, of society to, to find Jesus. I need to look outside. I need to look more diversely than I normally do. And so we need to make a point of listening to the insights of others. Whether they be, be women scholars or women teachers or, or those in the immigrant communities or the church outside of Western, uh, outside of North America, we need to be having a broader perspective to be looking for well, how, what we can learn uh, about God and what it means to follow him from these sources. Again, remember, the kingdom of God often flows through those who are left out of mainstream society. 